Okay, I'm going to go ahead and pray. God, our Father, Lord, You are so glorious and wonderful. We do praise You, O God. Lord, we consider who You are, high and lifted up, great King over all the earth. Lord, we do praise You. We do honor You and bless You this morning. And Father, we are so thankful for all of the good work that You're doing in our hearts, in our lives, in our families, in our marriages. God, that You would even take us and change us so that we would be like You. Indeed, this is a privilege, Lord, which words cannot describe. But our hearts are grateful and we are just excited and very thankful, Lord, for all that You are to us and all that Your kingdom is and all that blessing that we are receiving as You mold us and shape us and make us like You. We thank You for Your wonderful love to us. And dear God, we do thank You this morning for the cross of Your dear Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You, Lord, that You would give Your only Son for us, that He would be offered up as a sacrifice for our sins, for our rebellion. Lord, that He, the just, would die for us, the unjust. What a tremendous privilege and blessing. And we are thankful. God, we praise You. We honor You. Lord, as we look into Your Word this morning, please open our eyes to see clearly what You are saying to the church. Lord, give us strength that we might put the old man to death that the new man might live. Give us strength, Lord, to indeed walk in love even as you have loved us. We thank you for the privilege and the freedom that we have to gather here this morning and to freely proclaim your word. It is a wonderful blessing and we ask that you would continue that freedom that we have for many generations to come, dear Lord. We thank you for all that you are to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I have one little announcement. I guess we handed out these baby bottles. We were doing this ministry uh, project for the CareNet Pregnancy Center. And I guess we have a lot of those that are still handed out. So if anybody has one of those empty bottles, please bring them back because they belong to them. And uh, with that, we're going to dive off into the Word here. Okay, so we're back in our study of Ephesians. And uh, this is going to be our last class uh, this year. We we are going to have a Sunday school class next Sunday, a week from today. But I'm not going to be in Ephesians. I'm going to be doing a, a supplement to the class I was doing on biblical interpretation. And I'm going to talk about rightly interpreting the scripture. And uh, and I'm, we're going to look a little bit at a Bible study method. And, and uh, just want to try to equip you a little better to uh, kind of dig into the word yourself. And, and uh, that's going to be our last class uh, for this 
school year. And then, of course, we're going to take up again, Lord willing, in uh, September of next year. And we're going to pick up in Ephesians 5 and go through Ephesians 5 and 6. And uh, I'm probably going to make a... I'm going to take an even closer look at the text dealing with marriage than, uh, than I am going through the normal text. And so we'll probably spend many, many weeks on marriage and pull in some additional resources from some other places in the scripture and that kind of thing. So excited about that next year. Um, <clears throat> today, hopefully, we're going to cover Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. And uh, having gotten through chapter 4 last week, all the way through verse uh, 32, and uh, we were looking at the contrasts. You remember uh, the latter part of chapter 4 is, is really dealing with the contrast between the old man and the new man. And, uh, you know, uh, Paul is making the point based off of what he says in verse 20 of chapter 4, that um, we did not learn Christ in this way, that is the way the Gentiles walk. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And so in this latter part of chapter 4, we've been looking at these contrasts that Paul presents between the flesh or the sinful nature or the old self and the new self. And uh, <clears throat> he, he goes through these, this series of contrasts that really helps us to clearly see a distinction between the old man and the new man, between the flesh and and between the nature of God, which now lives in us. And, uh, you know, so he went through the contrast of, of uh, speaking lies or falsehood and speaking truth or, or stealing uh, and, and working to share or speaking unwholesome words versus words that build up and edify and are needful and healing. And uh, uh, he presents uh, things like bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice. And he tells us to put all of these away. And uh, instead to be kind and to be tender-hearted, forgiving, uh, just as, as uh, God has in Christ forgiven you. And uh, if you will, he kind of sums up that little series of contrasts in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. And, and really, uh, I see the chapter break in a better spot being right after verse 2. But, you know, hey, <laughs> I suppose there's probably a hundred different opinions about that. But uh, <clears throat> so anyway, we, we have this series of contrasts that Paul's been presenting, showing us the distinction between that old self, which we are to put off and lay aside, and that new self, uh, which we are have been created in the likeness of God. We are to live in that new self, and that old self must be put off. And of course, last week we, we uh, really got heavily into the understanding of that and there was a few tears being shed, and, and uh, I, you know, I just uh, really uh, felt like last week, you know, the Lord was just really visiting us. I don't know. I had several people comment to me that there was some, some major conviction going on, and, 
Praise the Lord. I think once we begin to hate our sin, and we hate it enough, (laughs) we're willing to put it off, aren't we? And then the new man can live. The new man has freedom to to live. And uh, if you will, I want to read Ephesians 4.25, and we're going to read through... Uh, chapter 5, verse 5, so I can bring some context to our passage this morning. Ephesians 4.25 Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Amen? Okay, then. So here we are, and uh, like I said, going through chapter 4, we've seen this series of contrasts dealing with the old self and the new self. And if you will, Paul kind of sums all these things up in verses 1 and 2, and he says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and sacrifice to God, as a fragrant aroma. And I wanted to show you that uh, there is a contrast that's being presented between verse 2 and back in chapter 4, verse 30. And back in 4, verse 30, the the uh, command there is, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And there we were talking about how God is grieved by the sins of his people. And uh, then we were looking at uh, chapter 5, verse 2, and there it says, Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And in this scripture, you get this idea of this fragrant aroma that's been offered up to God and how that is a pleasing thing in the nostrils of God. When God has seen the sacrifice of Christ, he is pleased. And, and the, uh, the idea of a fragrant aroma is the idea of the pleasing smell 
of that sacrifice. Okay? And so, if you will, there's this contrast. Do not grieve the Spirit of God. Instead, be a fragrant aroma. Be pleasing to God. Be as Christ was, an acceptable offering unto God. Amen? And so, I, we don't want to miss that contrast. And, of course, I pointed that out before already. Uh, but but uh, it's important to see that right in the context of these verses. Uh, after having said these many different things, you know, stop speaking lies and, and uh, put up, laying aside falsehood, speak the truth, and, and in your anger do not sin, and, and uh, he who steals must steal no longer, but he must labor uh, uh, and, and work so that he has something to share. And don't let any unwholesome word come from your mouth, but only that which edifies and builds up and strengthens. And, and uh, put aside all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, but instead be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so with all of these contrasts, here he begins to sum it up, and he says, Therefore, therefore, having all of this practical instruction about what not to do and about what to do, because we're putting away the old self, we're being renewed in the spirit of our mind and we are putting on the new self which has been in the likeness of God created in righteousness. That new self has got to live. And so he says, therefore, based on all of that practical instruction I just gave you, he says, be imitators of God. And there, if you will, he sums it all up. He sums up all of this little practical instruction he's been giving us. And, and so here is the heavenward call of the Christian to be an imitator of God. This also is equivalent to the words of Christ in Matthew 5.48. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We have the commandment to be an imitator of God. To be perfect even as God is perfect. And in Peter, he says, be holy, even as your heavenly Father is holy. Amen? And, of course, that commandment comes from the Old Testament. But the idea here is that we would imitate God. And so, naturally, if we're going to imitate God, we're going to put aside every deed of the flesh. We're going to put off every work of darkness. And we're going to put on Christ. And we're going to truly be like Christ is. We're going to be kind and tender-hearted and loving, and we're going to share. And we're not going to steal any longer. We're going to we're going to we're going to speak words that that edify and build people up, not profanity, not something that's unwholesome. Would that come from the lips of Christ? Of course not. And so he sums these things up, and he says, "Be an imitator of God." In, in other words, do what God does, and don't do what God doesn't do. Amen. If you will, it's equivalent to the idea of following Jesus. Walking in His steps. Going where He goes. Doing what He does. Saying what He says. Feeling what He feels. Amen? And He says, be an imitator of God. We are always and continually striving to live as an imitator of God. Always seeking to clothe ourselves with His holy virtue. You know, this is the reason why we were saved. God saved us to conform us into the likeness of His Son. To make us like Him. So that we would manifest the glory of His virtue. 
that we in our lives, through our actions, through our words, through our thoughts, through our deeds, would manifest the glory of God and His excellency. Amen? That's the reason why we were saved. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be an imitator of God, to take on the nature of God and become like God and do what God does. And, and, and we, if you will, are, Paul says in 2 Corinthians that, that we're a letter. We're, we're a, a, an epistle, right? We're our, we are a, a, a living letter that when people read our life, what do they read? They read the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ because they see Christ in us. And we are being transformed, he says there a little later on. So that we take on His likeness, that we take on His virtue, that we take on His excellency. This is who we are as a body of people. This is why we must no longer walk like the Gentiles walk. We've got to put sin off. We've got to lay it aside. Why? Because we're the beloved children of God. His nature is our nature. We've been changed. Remember how we were talking about regeneration. And we were saying regeneration is no small thing. And we can't treat it as some small thing. We've got to lay aside that sin and let that new man reign and live in us. And let Christ be the ruler of our hearts. Amen? And in so doing, He's going to rule our thought life. He's going to rule our mouth and our words. He's going to rule our actions and everything that we do. We're going to become like Him. We're going to be imitators of God. And we are going to speak forth the praises of Him who called us out of darkness, even with our very actions. Amen? And so He's telling us to be imitators of God. Look with me, if you will, at Luke chapter 6. Turn over to Luke chapter 6. Now, this is the very teaching that the Lord Jesus was giving. You know, if you ever stop and look at the teaching of Jesus, it, it, the apostles are just simply reverberating the things that Jesus said again and again and again. Here in, in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27. Listen to Jesus' practical exhortations. You remember we talked about the book of Ephesians and the first three chapters are doctrinal and the last three chapters are practical. And here in the last three chapters, he's giving us very practical instruction about what we do and what we don't do, right? Well, if you will, here's a passage in the teaching of Jesus where he is giving us very practical instruction about what we do and what we don't do. And so starting in verse 27 of Luke chapter 6. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. And just as you want people to treat you, treat them in the same way. And if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies 
and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Amen? You see that? You know, Jesus is going through this practical discourse, and he's saying, do this and do this and don't do that and don't do that. But look how he sums this thing up. He says, then you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Now I want you to see how that directly parallels Ephesians 5.1. Look what Paul's doing. He's going through this contrast, Ephesians 4.25 through 32. And he's saying, don't do this and don't do that. And do this and, and do that. And, and put off lies and falsehood and speak the truth. And put off unwholesome words and speak edifying words. And then look what he says in chapter 5, verse 1. And be imitators of God as what? As beloved children. Right? He says, because you are the children of God. Be an imitator of God, he says. Because you are the children of God. God's very nature lives in you. Therefore, you can no longer live like the heathen. You can no longer live like the Gentiles. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Amen? Why? Because you are God's beloved children. And in you lives the nature of God. Amen? And that's why we have to be imitators of God. Listen, if we're truly the children of God, then what do you suppose we're going to do? We're going to do what our Father does. You remember that scathing rebuke that Jesus gave to the Pharisees, right? And he says, your father is the devil, and he's a liar. And he's been lying from the beginning. And he's a murderer, right? And of course, he's rebuking them for their lies. He's rebuking them for their murder, right? And, and the point is, is that you do what your father does. That's in John chapter 8, right? And here the idea, friends, we are the beloved children of God. And when we live and think and walk and act like Christ, Jesus says, then you will be sons of the Most High. When we look at our life and we see Christ... There is a great and blessed assurance that we possess that God is even changing us sinners to be like Him and that we belong to Him and that His nature is in us and that we have the hope of eternal life. Amen? Listen, Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God. Listen, this is the high calling of a Christian. To be an imitator of God. We never have an excuse for sin, ever, when we have a commandment as high and holy as this. Our response to sin is not excuses. It is repentance. It is humility. It is confession. It is surrender. Amen? Let us never excuse ourselves. And as many times as we fall short, we got to get up and dust off and keep marching. Because we have a goal. And the goal is Christ. Amen? 
And here it is presented in the form of an imperative commandment. Be imitators, he says, of God. And then you will be sons of the Most High. He says, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Remember in the, in the verse right back there, in verse 32, look what he said. He said, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. How? Just as God in Christ forgave you. Remember how we were talking about forgiveness? And we were talking about the way Christ forgives, right? That Christ forgives liberally, that he forgives uh, completely, and that he forgives freely. Amen? And, and in this passage, you see, we're, we are to do things just as God in Christ. Here in verse 32, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Look at chapter 5, verse 2. And walk in love, he says, how? Just as Christ also loved you. That's how. Amen? And so he gives us these living examples, if you will. But here he says, be imitators of God as beloved children. He says we're the children of God. We're God's kids. Therefore, we're going to grow up and be like Him. Amen? Being His beloved children, we have taken on His nature and are therefore to live a life of love, which is an expression of that divine nature which is in us. Turn with me, if you would, to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one. Peter says there, starting in verse two, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through our, the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. Look what he says here in verse 4. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. You hear what Peter's saying there? He's saying that because of God's glory and excellence, he has granted to us precious and magnificent promises. And why has he given us those precious and magnificent promises? He says, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. So that you might become like God. So that you might become an imitator of Christ. That's why. That's why we have the scripture. That's why the scripture is so comprehensive and speaks to every detail of our life. Because God by the Holy Spirit is taking those words and he's infusing them into our hearts and minds. And by that he's changing us into the image of Christ. This is the whole reason we were saved. He says in Romans 8.29... For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined, right? For what? For what reason? For what purpose? To be conformed into the image and likeness of his son. Amen? That's the purpose of salvation. 
We are to become imitators of God as the Holy Spirit is working that ministry in us of revealing the word to us and renewing our minds and changing our hearts so that we begin to think and feel and act and say and think like Christ. Amen? We have to be imitators of God if we're his beloved children. We have to be imitators of God if His nature lives in us. Amen? We have to be imitators of God because He's commanded us to. Amen? This is throughout the Scripture. It's amazing. Look what He says here. Four words. And walk in love. That's the same thing as saying, be an imitator of God. Amen? You know, we can read right past that. Right? We, we, can, we can read right past that scripture. And, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you. Consider what's being said. Walk in love. And the term for walk here, what does it mean? In the English, uh, the, what's the idea? Remember? To live. Make to it a live. Lifestyle. To live. It's your lifestyle. The way you walk is the way you live, right? If you read the NIV here, I, I like it. It says, uh, and live a life of love, it says. Okay? And that's the idea of walk in love. It's live a life of love. A, lo- a life that's consumed by love. A life that's pursuing love. A life that is taken on the nature of love. So that the expression of our life is what? Love. Which is what? The character and the nature of God. Amen? And so, if you will, he's saying be an imitator of God and walk in love. Amen? Here, and and again, this is throughout the scripture. This kind of commandment and teaching is throughout the entire Bible. This is the command to be like God, to worship Him and become like Him, to ascribe to Him worth and glory and honor. You know, even the first commandment, what does God say? Thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? I am the Lord. In other words, I am to be your God. I am to be the one to whom you ascribe worth. I am the thing you are to treasure. I am the thing you are to value. Amen? God presents himself to us in Christ. And this is what he says. This is my beloved son. Do what he says. Right? This is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. Right? In the King James, hear ye him. Right? God shows up in Christ and he says, Here's what I'm like. Here's who I am. And here's my commandment love me with all of your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Walk in love. Be like me, Jesus says. He says, take up your cross. Deny yourself and do what? Follow me. Go where I go. Do what I do. Lose your own life so that you can save it. Amen? 
Walk in love. You know, there's several kinds of loves in this in this commandment. There is love to God. If you look in Deuteronomy chapter 5, there he says, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5, he says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Okay? That was the command of Judaism. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then in the New Testament in 1 John, John puts it this way, uh, chapter 5, verse 1 and following. He says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Okay, again, we have this idea of being a child of God, right? Born of God. And he says, Whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. Because he goes on, For this is love of God, that we keep His commandments. Amen? How do we know that we love God? We keep His commandments. We obey His commandments. That's how. That's how we know we love God. When our life is being conformed into the image of Christ through practical obedience, that's how we know we love God. Amen? Here in this context, when we love the children of God, that's how we know we love God. Whoever loves God must love the child born of him. Right? But then also is expressed the idea of of loving man. He's saying walk in love. He's saying live a life of love. Let Let your life be just filled with the love of God so that you love God and you love your neighbor. Indeed, these are the great commandments, are they not? What is the great commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so love God and love man, right? You look at the Ten Commandments, you got two tables of the law. One table says what? Love God. God. And what's the other table say? Love Love man. And thus the first four commandments are man's relationship to God. And the last six commandments are man's relationship to man, right? And here Paul is telling us the same thing. I'm summing up the law and the prophets, he says. Be an imitator of God as beloved children and walk in love. And in Romans 13 he says, For love is the fulfillment of the law. Amen? Love is fulfilling the law. You're fulfilling the commandment of God when you walk in love. When you're an imitator of God. When you become like God, you're going to do what God does. You're going to manifest His virtue. You're going to manifest His excellency. This is why we can no longer live like the Gentiles live. We've got to put off the flesh. We've got to put off the wrath and the anger and the bitterness. We gotta put away the stealing and the unwholesome words that tear down and destroy. We gotta be imitators of God. We've gotta be kind and loving and gentle and patient and tender hearted and forgiving one another. We gotta take up our cross. We gotta make a sacrifice and love like Christ loves. Amen? Amen. That's where we gotta be. We gotta walk in love. You know, and, and something I wanted to add here is the nature of love. The nature of love. When he tells us to walk in love, what is that love like? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. 
starting in, I'm going to go ahead and start in verse 4. And this is a beloved scripture to many of you, I'm sure. When Paul says, walk in love, what's he telling you to do, Christian? When God says, be an imitator of me because you're my beloved child, what's he asking you to do? He's asking you to be like him. And it's got to start down here in the heart. What good are our useless acts if inside the heart is a putrid stench instead of a fragrant aroma? Amen? Our love has to be motivated with true godly motivations and intentions and affections. Amen? And here's what they are. Love is what? Patient. Patient. Love is patient. Love doesn't want other people to hurry up and get it done right now because I'm impatient. Love is willing to what? Wait. Suffer long. Suffer long. Love is willing to strive. Amen? Love, the Bible says, is kind. Love has a benevolent attitude that seeks to bless. Amen? It's not jealous. Love doesn't get upset when somebody else is blessed. And love doesn't want what somebody else has. It's not covetous. And instead, love rejoices when someone else is rejoicing. Love is fulfilled when somebody else is blessed. What cause for celebration? My brother is blessed. God is pouring out blessings upon him. Rejoice! What more do you want for your brother? Why would you be jealous? You know what jealousy wants? Jealousy wants its brother to burn in hell. Ultimately. That's what it says. I'm dissatisfied because you have something that I don't have. That's Cain's attitude who slew his brother. Right? Why did Cain slay his brother? He was jealous over his brother's righteous acts. Consider what evil must lie in the heart. My brother's righteous. I'm angry. (laughs) Wicked. Amen? Love is not that way. Love is not jealous. Love rejoices when somebody else is blessed. Love rejoices when somebody else is righteous. Love rejoices when somebody else is pleasing to God. Amen? It says here, love does not brag, and it is not arrogant. (coughs) Love doesn't what? In another translation, puff up. Right? Love doesn't exalt itself in pride. Right? Parade itself. Doesn't parade itself. It doesn't make much of self, does it? It doesn't even think high-mindedly. It's not arrogant. Love thinks humbly. Amen? Love is humble. That's what the Bible is saying here. Love is humble. It does not act unbecomingly. Right? 
Love doesn't throw a fit when it doesn't get its way. It's not like a three-year-old storming around when you take a sucker away. Right? It doesn't act unbecomingly. Why? Because love is not motivated in that manner. Love is humble. Love is righteous. Love is holy. It's, it's not focused on itself. It's not. It's focused on Christ. Amen? He says, love does not seek its own. Right? What are you saying, Paul? Walk in love? Don't seek your own. What are you saying, Paul? Be an imitator of God? Don't be selfish. Amen? Because love doesn't seek its own. Love is willing to take up its cross and follow Jesus. Love is willing to deny itself when? Daily. Every day. Day in and day out. Love is seeking to, de- to deny itself that it might bless others. That it might bless God and be a fragrant aroma in the nostrils of God. Every time we make a sacrifice, God is pleased when we do that out of a benevolent attitude seeking to bless others. Amen? Jerry? Since love is so important, and since we all fall short, I think each one of us should be heartbroken for all the times that we've reacted in a selfish manner. And, you know, I feel like telling Sean, would you stop? You're killing me. I hope you know, you're not. We should be heartbroken because we haven't loved the way that Christ would have us to. And I'm, I sit here, you know, I just see so many times that I failed. Yeah, I, I've loved, but I sure have failed. And that just breaks my heart because love is so important. Amen. It is. And, and Jerry, I, I appreciate your heart so much, brother. I really do. And as I read these words, I, I feel the same way. God, why don't you stop? You're killing me. And I think that's the idea. And I hope you're dying, brother. <laughs> and I hope I'm dying. Amen? Because if there's anything we want, we want love like Christ loves. We want to be patient and kind and gentle, and humble, and compassionate, and gracious, don't we? Isn't that our greatest desire, that we could be like Jesus? Amen? But friends, the sin has got to die. The sin has got to die if the new man is going to live. Carlos. Uh, the other day I was just sitting, and my back started itching, so I got a back scratcher. Mm-hmm. Right? I started scratching my back, and then it... <clears throat> Just uh, it hit me. God's back was there, and then they scourged him and flogged his back, and they peeled off the skin for us. And it hit me how bad sin is, and how that's the sacrifice that he did for us. Amen. So hopefully, you know, with God's Holy Spirit, then the powers of 
that we can love. Amen. And I and I think it's so beautiful, you know, and this is what, what happens when we see the love of God in Christ and we see the sacrifice that he made for us. We mourn over our sin. We we deeply are troubled by our sin. And it causes us to hate evil. It causes us to hate our sins. And what should be the result of that? Yeah, just, just the idea of, of just, you know, if you, if you hate these sins of self-exaltation and pride and selfishness, what is going to be the result of that? You're going to constantly seek to put that old man to death. And every time he rears his ugly head, you're going to pull out the sword of the Spirit and whack him off again. Amen? Because you don't want that, that old man to live. That old man has been crucified with Christ and he no longer lives. Amen? But Christ lives in me. And now I'm free to be patient and loving and kind and gentle and compassionate. Not only that, I'm excited about it. Amen? It's my good pleasure to strive with you, brother, if we would just take on the attitude of Christ. Amen? And, and so this, I, I, I just see these words and I know it's just stirring up just a good work of God way down deep inside the soul. Amen? These are powerful words. Love is not easily angered. It's not provoked, is it? Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Instead, it's what? It's forgiving. Love is forgiving. It doesn't hold on to grudges. Amen? You got a grudge against your brother? Give it to Christ. He knows what to do with it. Amen? You forgive your brother. You give your grudge to Christ. He died for it. He suffered on the cross for your grudge. Amen? Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. You know, last week I got on my soapbox about the movies. <laughs> Same kind of idea here. It's not comical to us when somebody is making a mockery of sin. That's rejoicing in unrighteousness. Maxine brought up this movie. I've never seen it. It's called Anger Management. But I've seen the previews for it as I've been watching TV or whatever. And the I, I hope if you saw that movie, I hope you're utterly convicted. <laughs> but the idea is just that this guy's got a major anger problem, right? And so what do we do? Well, we just make a big mockery of it, right? It's funny. Let's break stuff. Let's hurt people. Let's get real angry, and then let's all laugh. You get, you get the point? What is that? That is rejoicing in unrighteousness. This guy's life is full of wrath and anger and clamor, right? And we're all going to pay ten bucks to sit around and laugh at it. You with me? That's wicked. That's not love. 
Love is love doesn't doesn't rejoice when there's sin. Love mourns over sin. Love dies for sin. Amen. Much less that sin should ever be exalted. You with me? Okay, I'll get off the movie soapbox. I can tell I'm touching nerves. <laughs> uh, but what does love do instead? Love rejoices with the truth. Right? Love is willing to even speak the truth in love. Right? Love is willing to, to, to uh, edify and build up and strengthen and say what's needful for the moment. And when that truth is spoken, love rejoices. Amen? Love rejoices with that which is good and honorable and lovely and noble. That's what love loves. Amen? That's what love wants to seek after constantly and continually. Amen? Whatsoever is good, whatsoever is pure. Amen? That's what love rejoices with. That's the nature of love. It doesn't rejoice in sin. Instead, it rejoices with the truth. It rejoices with that which is good and righteous and holy. Amen? Love is repulsed by sin. But it is excited and empowered by that which is good and lovely and pure. Amen? That's the nature of love. Because that's the nature of God. And look what it says here. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. Amen? You want a picture of love never failing? You see the beaten broken and bloodied Jesus on the cross, inches from death, can hardly even breathe, excruciating pain. And you know what's flowing out of his mouth? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That is love that never fails. Even if you slay me, What's in my heart, Jesus says, is forgiveness and kindness and compassion and tender-hearted love. Amen? Jesus is our example. Jesus shows us the nature of love. And when Paul says to us, walk in love, you want to know what that means? Look at Jesus. We have an apt description Amen? And friends, he's telling us to be an imitator. And just so we don't get it confused, what does he say in the next words? Walk in love just as Christ also loved you. So, while your sins were pounding those nails into Jesus' hands... Jesus' heart of compassion toward you was forgiveness and love. Amen? So the next time you find your hand having a nail pound through it, how should you respond? 
Amen? You know, Pastor Tim has this wonderful teaching. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you haven't. He goes through Romans 8, 28 through 32, and he talks about the, the five characteristics of divine love. And the first one that he points out is, um, is that God's love is eternal. And that we have been, if you know anything about the word foreknowledge in the verse, Romans 8, 29, where it says that God, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The idea of foreknowledge is not just that God knows things ahead of time. The idea of foreknowledge is that God decides to set his love in an intimate relationship upon an object in the future. And Pastor Tim goes through this whole idea about how God has loved us first. And God has loved us in eternity. And then he talks about how that ought to be a characteristic of our love. So that when, when the day comes when someone's pounding that nail through our hand, we have decided ahead of time to set our love on that person and to forgive them. And we walk that way then in forgiveness. Because we've taken on that characteristic of divine love, which is not tossed to and fro by circumstances. You see that? It's profound. But think about how the love of Christ is is there, even in the midst of our hurting him. And even in the midst of our grieving him, how his compassionate heart of love never fails toward us. Amen? This is the kind of love that he is calling us to. How do you know that, Sean? Because he says, walk in love just as Christ also loved you. How did Christ love you? He gave himself up. up. How did he love you? With, with, With what intensity did Christ love you? Consider, friends, how has Christ loved you? That's what Paul is telling us to do. To walk in love, just like Christ loved us. Amen? He didn't deserve to die. But he gave himself. He didn't demand his rights. But he willingly sacrificed. The scripture says, he laid down his life. Amen? Here we have a standard for love. Freely. (coughs) Willingly. In spite of injury. Amen? (laughs) It's a high and a holy standard. Right? But friends, does not the Spirit of God live in us? Are we not the children of God? Is this not our great desire to love like this? Don't tell me you can't love like this. You can love like this. Or God wouldn't command you to do it. And he wouldn't empower you to do it. Amen? How else are you going to love those who hate you? How else are you going to love those who falsely say all kinds of evil about you and persecute you? How else are you going to go to the stake? Get tied there and lit up 
And as your flesh is burning away, how else are you going to say, Lord, don't hold this sin to their account? How's that going to happen? How are you going to be like Stephen? And the stones are coming down on top of your head. And you're saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. We can love like this, friends. Indeed, I'm pointing out to you this morning, we are commanded to love like this. You with me? And uh, I'll tell you, we don't have a greater desire than to love like this. And, you know, knowing these things, how can we have strife in our marriages? If you've got two people who are committed to one another like this, with the love of Christ, how can we strive? You got, you got people tripping over one another, looking for a way to humble themselves and serve the other. Amen? I'll tell you, the righteousness of God is beautiful. It's wonderful. And the power of God is here for us to attain to this love, friends. Don't be discouraged because the commandment is so high and holy. Instead, turn your discouragement into a, a, a desperate pursuit for it. Amen? Greg? I, I think, like you just said, I mean, the righteousness of God is... is great thing and I think a lot of people well, most people, everybody miss that and try to use their own righteousness their own sense of righteousness rather than God's righteousness and you know this must be my thing because you know I just record it and play it every time but the, the humility and pride thing is just it's profound. I mean, it's it's profound that how many sins, how 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 many sins flow from pride. I mean, it just it astounds me. I every every day I I learn and realize that probably ninety five percent of the sins I commit hundred oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah are just. Dead on, Greg. Dead on. Every sin is motivated by pride. Uh, I love a quote by Spurgeon. He says, pride is the mother of hell. In other words, every wicked thing that you can consider, which will eventually wind up in hell, is birthed from pride. You know? Indeed, that is the original sin. The original sin is pride, which was found in the heart of Lucifer. It just astounds me that one simple thing, mm-hmm. you know, the more you rein that in, mm-hmm. the more every good thing flows. Amen. And humility is the spring where all <coughs> virtue flows out of. Amen. How do we know that? Because when the king of glory shows up on the earth, what does he do? He humbles himself and becomes obedient. Makes himself of no account like a servant. Amen? That's how we know that. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. Right? 
who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the form of a servant. Amen? He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That was an act of humility. And that's where the sacrifice had its power. Amen? Okay. How are we to love? Just as Christ also loved us. Listen to 1 John three sixteen through 18. There John writes, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Amen? John's saying, put some action to your love. And that's how we know it's real. Amen? Love doesn't just, doesn't just speak words of edification, but love has consistent actions that build up and edify. Amen? How did Jesus love us? He gave himself up for us. He had an action. Indeed, the strongest action of love is the cross. Amen? The blazing center of the glory of God is the cross. Amen? That's where love is manifest. He gave himself up for us. Here is the standard of Christ's love is portrayed to us by his act of personal sacrifice on the cross. He gave himself up for us, thus displaying his divine love for us. Amen? It resulted in the actions of his sacrifice. Get this. Here is the standard for our love. Here it is. How did Christ also love us? He gave himself up for us. Amen? The strength of his love for us was so intense that he gave himself up to death on our account. Amen? Now hear the exhortation of the apostle. Our life is to be characterized now by this love of God in Christ. Amen? It's got to become us. We got to become it. We got to do what? Be an imitator of God and walk in love. How? Just as Christ also loved us and did what? Gave himself up for us. So I want to ask you this question, Christian. What are you giving yourself up for? What price are you paying to love? Amen? Consider your life. What do you give yourself for? What do you give yourself to? What is the chief end of your life? Why do you live? What is the purpose of the things that you're doing in your everyday life? Is your life characterized by this self-sacrificing love of Christ as the scripture commands us? Amen? Let's not deceive ourselves. Let's take a, an accurate inventory of our life, of our words, of our actions, of our thoughts. 
What are we giving ourselves up for? Remember what Jesus said? If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Right? Because whoever desires to save his life will what? Lose it. But whoever does what? Loses his life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel. He will find it. And this is what I'm asking you. What are you giving your life up for? How are you losing your life for Christ? Amen? I want to tell you, it all starts with a sacrifice of the flesh. It all starts with a sacrifice of the flesh. And this is what the Bible says. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I want to ask you a question. Do you no longer live? Have you been crucified with Christ? And does this divine love of Christ now live in you? That's what these words mean, friends. That's what they mean when we stop and take a close look at what God is saying. He says, me, that old man of the flesh, he's been crucified. He no longer lives, but Christ lives in me. Amen? And what does that look like, Paul? Here's what it looks like. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and did what? Delivered himself up for me. Christ's example of sacrifice is my divine standard by which I now live my life by faith. And he says later on in the book of Galatians chapter 5, faith works by love. Amen? That's what true Christianity is. It's faith which is clinging to God, which is a gift from God, by which we cling to God, which fills us with His joy and with His love. So that we do what? We walk in love. We live a life of love. Our life is characterized by love because we're children of love. We're children of God. We're beloved children of God. And His nature lives in us. Amen? Listen, regeneration is no trifling thing. It's no small thing. It's huge. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed. New things have come. Amen? Therefore, we must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Because we didn't learn Christ that way. But we learn to lay aside the old self and be renewed in the spirit of our mind and put on Christ who in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. That's who we are. That's what lives in our heart. That's our new nature. Therefore, we have to think, say, and do what Christ thinks, says, and does. Amen? That's Paul's exhortation to us. And here he says that Christ giving himself up to God was an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Now listen to what happens to the Father and to the Son and the Holy Spirit when we walk in love. It's a fragrant aroma unto God. God is pleased. God is pleased when his people 
are a righteous and a holy people who do righteous and holy acts and think righteous and holy thoughts. Amen? I don't know about you. God's done so much for me. I just want to please Him. Amen? I'm so sick and tired of my sin. All I want to do is love Jesus. All I want to do is do the right thing. I don't want to do the wrong thing. I want to do the right thing. Amen? I want to please God. Man, God has blessed me so many thousands of ways. I can't even... For 10,000 tongues, we couldn't sing it. Amen? All we want to do is please Him. We just want to, we want to, we want to be that beloved Son in whom He is well pleased. Amen? That gracious, loving, kind, gentle, quiet daughter that just loves her Father and she's just pure in heart. <coughs> Amen? The contrast is between grieving the Spirit of God in chapter 4, verse 30. Or being a fragrant aroma to God. So, I want to sum up our lesson today. Okay, Here's the contrast that Paul is offering. Please yourself. Please the old man. Please the flesh. And grieve the Spirit of God. And here's how you do that. Lying and falsehood. Stealing. Using profanity and unwholesome words. Expressing your wrath, blowing your top, which the apostle calls clamor, being impatient and unkind and jealous and bragging and arrogant and selfish and easily angered and unforgiving and rejoicing in sin and stop to bear with one another and give up on your own love. And stop hoping and stop clinging to Christ in faith is to grieve the Spirit of God. He says, don't do that. He says, be an imitator of God. And do what? Love as Christ loved. And gave Himself up as a sacrifice and an offering to God. Love like that. Give yourself up. Be a sacrifice. Deny yourself. Take up your cross, He says. Speak the truth in love. Okay, hey, listen here. Here's how you give yourself up for Christ. Here's how you have been crucified and you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. Here's how, right here. Speak the truth in love. Work to share with others. Speak words that build others up. Be kind. Be tender-hearted. Be forgiving. Be patient. Rejoice when others are blessed. Humble yourself. Esteem others more highly than yourself. Sacrifice your own time. Sacrifice your own money. Sacrifice your own talents for others. Hate what is evil. Rejoice in the truth. Bear all things believe all things, hope all things, and cling to Christ in faith for the power to do it all. Amen? And you will be a fragrant aroma to God. Amen? God's Word is so holy. (laughs) I, I hope it's having the effect on you it's having on me. 
powerful stuff. Amen? Shall we pray? God, our Father, we are so thankful, Lord, for this divine love. What wondrous love is this, O God? Lord, we see your glorious love on the cross for us. And we are enamored. Lord, we are in awesome fear before you, wondering how we will ever love like this. But Lord, we know that your nature lives in us, and this is our great desire. And so we ask you, Father, for strength to attain to this divine love that you have given to us. May we indeed be children of love. May we be a people of divine love. May we indeed be imitators of you, Lord. We thank you for all that you are. We bless your holy name. We thank you for all the good work you're doing in our lives, in our families, in our marriages, in our relationships. God, we're so grateful. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.